All right, everybody, welcome back to the TOT cast. Of course, I am Ryan Greco. I'm joined uh, this episode by Chris O'Kranitz and Damar Grant. Uh, and gentlemen, I'm going to just start this off right away and just say that uh, it is unfortunate that uh, I think a, a couple of us got up this in really, really early morning. Really, really early in the morning. I mean, like, we're talking 6 a.m. at certain times. Sunday was nine. Sunday was nice, but it was still Sunday. <laughs> and, you know, cheering on the men's basketball team, the Canadian men's national team, as they were trying to qualify the last-ditch effort in Rio. I mean, we even had the support of some guys who had been playing an entire NBA season coming up, but Canada just fell short. And personally, I'm heartbroken. Um, I'm, uh, I'm probably going to be... Uh, uh, on uh, suicide watch for the next uh, week and a half because the darkest timeline. <laughs> Seriously. The darkest start that you can imagine on the COT cast has just happened. And now that we've gotten past that, uh, thoughts, Chris, on, on the, the tournament in itself? They blew their opportunity last year against Venezuela. That is really where this put them in this predicament to kind of have to topple the mighty France team. And people may laugh at that, but the French have a pretty damn good team with Tony Parker, Boris Diaw. Raptors rights, Nando DiColo, he he gave them trouble in that game. Nick Batum? Yeah, Nick Batum too. It's it's another step in the process for Canada basketball growing here. If there's any like silver lining in it, the 2020 Tokyo Olympics will be the 20-year anniversary of the last time the Canadian team made the Olympics. So maybe it's going to take a famous 20-year run. Or a Is that 20 years actually the, Canada's last chance of getting into the Olympics? No, they, the last time they made it was in 2000, so now... No, 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 was this their last chance? Yes, yes. Okay, that's really sad. Yeah, so now they're going to go for it again in 2020, and I, I fully expect them to make it then, because they're going to have some good youngsters coming up. Guys like R.J. Barrett are going to start to contribute. People like to call this, I know a lot of people say this to you, Ryan, the golden age of Canada basketball. Yes. I don't think we're in it yet. I think we're about to enter it. No, I, I completely agree with that, and I must say, uh, as a Raptors fan, I was incredibly conflicted watching DiColo play the way that he did. I must say, <laughs> you know, he got tournament MVP honors. And I mean, anybody in a Raptors uniform that gets something like that in a tournament like that, let make no mistake. FIBA may be, by some people's standards, old man basketball, but my God, is it effective. And to see DiColo, you know, almost under the tutelage in a sense of some of the players in that French team, to see him perform the way that he did, it was nice to see as a Raptors fan, as a Team Canada fan, which is what I was first and foremost during the contest, I was incredibly pissed off watching it. <laughs> How fun was it to watch student versus mentor, though? Corey Joseph and Tony Ooh. Parker? Tony Parker, you know, when he turns it on in certain spurts there like he did in the fourth quarter, it's just like, oh, wow. Tony's still got a little hop in his step when his hamstring's feeling good, and watching him <laughs> and Corey Joseph go at it was a lot of fun. Oh, my God, absolutely. I mean, just watching... Uh, just seeing how Joseph, it, al- it almost seemed like one of those those kind of cat and mouse games. You know what? Who remembers here he got game? Yeah. yeah Demar. So Demar, let me let's let's break that down. It literally was like watching old man Denzel Washington go up against Ray <laughs> Allen, and just just back and forth. The only difference though was that Denzel won this night. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, in that actually in that movie that. That game was like a real game between Denzel and Ray Allen. It was they were actually playing, and Denzel like actually, you know, scoring points on an NBA player. I believe it. I mean, Denzel is probably one of the most competitive people you'd ever like. You just see the way that he acts. I mean, I, I, I would buy that right away, Chris. Damn. No, good for him. I didn't know that. <laughs> to go head to head with Jesus Shuttlesworth. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, but no. In all in all honesty, though, I mean. I, 
I've said this time and again that watching this team grow the way that I that that we have that we all have here in the last couple of years and and pretty much everyone throughout the country that's ever had any interest in Canadian hoops it, it it's so promising to see how well they do because they've got so many bright bright moments to point to like the Pan Am games like even last year in Mexico City they dominated right up until Venezuela hell they dominated right up until that well actually no dominate isn't the right word for this tournament they did not play that well but they found ways to win they they managed with what they had to find ways to win. And there was even some rumblings about, is Jay Toronto the right man? I'm going to say that right now. That's bullshit. Jay Toronto is the man. He is the guy to lead this team in 2020. I would uh, I would be incredibly upset at the idea of any kind of change in management in Canada basketball because these are the only legitimate guys that have been able to convince an entire young crop and generation of players to say, you know what, playing for the Maple Leaf, it would be pretty cool. Now, they've got their own obligations, obviously. They're rookies. I think a lot of, not just rookies, but just younger players that have this... Um, I don't know. I get, there are things more important right now than international basketball to these guys, which is understandable. Well, and That's an issue for a lot of sports right now at the Olympics. Being an Olympian and the prestige and the pride that comes with that isn't as great as it once was. Like You look at the Olympics and you watch it and you go, okay, yeah, it's fun to watch. But for guys in the past, going to the Olympics was a tremendous deal. If you made the Olympics, like, man, that's the pinnacle. Like yep. the dream team. We had so many things come from there, whereas now it's kind of like, yeah, I'm going to the Olympics. Yeah. It's almost like an afterthought to make the Olympics now because even this year you would see a lot of like U.S. players opting out going to the Olympics just because it would uh, negatively impact their play in the NBA. Hmm. I, I would even make the argument that now that USA is undisputedly, sorry, undisputedly back on top, a lot of these guys feel like they'll be fine without me. I can I can take this summer off. Because what was the big reason why the Redeem team even happened in the first place? <laughs> Is because they didn't win in 04. And I mean, like that yeah. was a big deal for them. And then to the point where they actually had to overhaul the coaching staff. They brought in they brought in an entirely at that point, I think in 08 specifically, they brought an entire NCAA coaching staff as far as head coaches go with Jim Beheim and Coach K and a few other guys. And that's when America was like no, we need to win this. And, of course, when you see America ramp up like that, I mean, teams like Spain, Lithuania, uh, a lot of teams that otherwise may have not had a shot against USA when they put their best foot forward, these guys showed up to play just as well. It was some of the most entertaining international basketball ever. I think it, the Olympics being in Brazil is a little bit more worrisome for guys than they're leading on. You see a lot of guys starting to say, now, I'm not going because Zika virus. I'm not going because of concerns of Brazil's economy and, you know, the favelas and all. Just there's a lot of political unrest there as well. It's just there's a lot of factors going on that I think people are kind of being like, I'll pass this year. Mm-hmm. If they feel like they have another Olympic left in them in 2020 where they can go play in Japan, they'll do that instead of taking a chance and playing in 2016. I feel like that's just something that's kind of been lingering in the back of players' minds too. American or Canadian? All of them. All of them, yeah. Yeah, I think everybody. Yeah. I can't wait until Japan, man. you imagine like these... Uh Six foot ten, six foot five athletes in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. They, That's actually gonna be fun to watch. They would lose their minds watching it. I mean yeah. and, and even another thought, I mean, well here's hoping that we're all there to watch it. That'd be fun. I think something though going <laughs> building towards that Olympics if you're Canada, you need to restore pride in the Maple Leaf where wearing that Maple Leaf on your chest has meaning like the same way it does in hockey. Guys would kill to wear that Maple Leaf in the Winter Olympics to play for Team Canada. They got to kind of get that same vibe in basketball where you look at older guys like LeVon Kendall, Joel Anthony, 
These are old cats that are still playing there, and they're kind of set the bar for what it means to be a Canadian on the Canadian team. Now it's time for them to pass it on to guys like Jamal Murray, R.J. Barrett. Even you want to go a little bit older, guys like Corey Joseph, the captain. Like by Where then, is Andrew Wiggins? Well, I, I was going to say Andrew Wiggins too, but I just feel like until he consistently plays for the Olympic team, he's always a question mark. Sure, yeah, he showed like, up for the qualifiers, but he's he hasn't really done it yet. Your point, like, you need to have pride in, like, actually playing for the Canadian team. Like, yeah. he would be considered one of the best players Canada-wise in either. Like, he would he'd be one of the influences to have for people to have pride to play for the team. Do you understand what I mean? A hundred percent. And I feel like that's where Steve Nash, he gets a lot of praise being an advisor with the Golden State Warriors and everything he's done the past two years around the NBA where people are even telling that he's going to be the next GM of the Suns, apparently, if everything works out there. I think for him, his number one assignment is to lure Andrew Wiggins to Team Canada and make him realize that, hey, Corey Joseph may be the captain here, but you can be the face of an entire country. Come grab this. Come take this. Be the guy. So I feel right. like his, his job is to pitch him. Yeah, so somebody needs to convince Andrew Wiggins to come back because uh, he's struggling without him, man. Honestly, it's kind of... I just you know, find... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just saying, I just find it disappointing that we even have to try and convince this kid, to be honest. Like, and you know what? A lot of, I know it's the unpopular take and the unpopular position to try and, um, you know, criticize people that don't show up because you understand it's earlier in their career. They don't want to take any unnecessary risks. And I'm sure as hell that they got scared to death looking at Paul George and what happened to him Yep. and seeing like it can happen at any time. But it's the same reason why I also say that argument, well, it could happen at any time. So I guess maybe they you'd rather tear your ACL. I mean, knock on wood, but you'd rather tear your ACL when you're getting paid to do it, I guess. I think with the semantics of the NBA and the way the rookie contracts are scaled right now, where they're not a percentage of the salary cap, they're just a concrete fixed number, they're static. Yeah. Once that changes the new CBA and Andrew Wiggins finally gets paid, I think he'll have every reason to play every year because... He'll have nothing to worry about. Right now, if he, let's say, was to have, God forbid, a Paul George-like injury, all he's falling back on is his insurance money mm-hmm. and whatever base pay that he has in his salary, which is probably nothing compared to what he could make. Mm-hmm. So I understand that part for him as well. And you know what? Now that you bring that up, it makes it all the more sense that Tristan Thompson shows up even though he just played an entire NBA season seven-game series in the finals. Yeah. Because he's got his money. He's paid. He's got. He's all right. <laughs> You know, I just, so like, and to your point, like I, I honestly, I'm speaking, I'm honestly more speaking as a fan when I say that it's frustrating to not watch guys like Stauskas and Wiggins play, but we all know the reasons why you're still just looking at that going, damn, like there's, there's no harm, like there's no harm in your development. If all goes well to be playing at this level against players like what France had. You know, yeah. to say that I, I just don't I don't accept the fact and I don't like the fact that guys are going to be able to say. And honestly, I understand that. What else can they really say when they say this? But they go, I'm going to focus on getting better in my own way. Well, what better way to go against a guy like Tony Parker, like Corey Joseph did when you've got Tony Barker literally sitting there going, OK, this this kid's coming at me now and I'm going to show him something. And what kind of what more kind of experience could you get? And I mean, look at Tony Parker and his reactions and, and his emotion that he was showing playing for his country. And I think that's something above all else that Corey Joseph will probably take away from that whole situation because I doubt that he may have ever even seen Tony Parker act like that on the court. Oh, for sure he has. Man. They went to title runs with the Spurs. He's seen Tony at like peak. 
Mm. <laughs> I think if there's anything, though, that you can take away from Canada in all of this is that their role players or secondary players, when the big guys don't show up, these guys that are filling in, are not as good as the guys that the rest of the world has doing that for them. Good point. No, that's, true. that's something that Canada basketball has to evolve is we have this five to eight guys that are very good, and then after that we have a lot of guys that are trying to catch up. Mm-hmm. Whereas the rest of the world has ten-ish solid players that they can put on the court and play. And I think a lot of that partially has to do with the fact that Canada as a whole to basketball is still kind of new. We don't have a true professional league. Like in Europe, if you live in a small country, you can still go play in the Euro League, right? Like mm-hmm. there's different leagues you can play in. If you're in the States, there's the D League. There's so many other things where just Canada doesn't have the greatest development yet. Our developmental system is very raw, but in it's everything. Coming. And it's not even just basketball, yeah. to be honest. Baseball, um, uh, the only place we have it down pat is hockey, to be honest. And the rest of the world's caught up to that. But it. It's coming for Canada basketball. I think what is coming down the chute is very, very promising. Mm-hmm. So, and I was it's exciting gonna... to be on the right at the beginning of that, to be honest. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. No, it's true. It's what, true. What, what about Melvin Edrum? I mean, uh, Melvin just – you want to talk about guys who take advantage of their situations with the national team. There's a guy. But at the same time, I mean, he was an outstanding college player. Yeah, he and was even really now, good. And I was even – like. Watching Melvin doing what he's been doing, whether it was with the Pan Am team, whether it's you know with this team, and just seeing his athleticism, it's 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 fun to watch. And just there's a guy that's not afraid of the bigger moments. No. So I mean, what do you think, Demar? Melvin Eldrum, the guy. Oh, dude, the guy that everybody's raving about in the summer league. Everybody believes that he should be a uh, part of the NBA now. Well, he can't till next season. I know, but because like, he's under contract in Italy. Like that's really what it is. Yeah, he's become like a cult hero. Yeah, his uh, shooting ability <laughs> and his ability to rebound and crash the glass and all that. I, yeah. And you know what? I'm, I'll I'll leave off with Team Canada at this. How about the Scrub Brothers? Now, Phil, the guy who has always gotten the most attention, an underwhelming tournament. Much expected though, because to be honest, he's a CIS player. Doesn't matter how talented you are. Let's just call a spade a spade. He. When he had an opportunity to go down south, he decided to stay up here and just not get as good as he possibly could have been. Thomas, on the other hand, how much, how important is it now showing that a guy, specifically coming from the CIS, having that raw physical tools that he has, because he's bigger than his brother by about two inches and about 20 plus pounds, how much more effective was he at, at this international game now? And I mean, the improvement that I've seen has just been, it, it's been, it's been impressive and it's been noticeable. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think that's fair to say, but I still think there's a long ways to go. You saw it against, let's keep in mind here, they played Senegal, New Zealand. Like These weren't necessarily powerhouses until you got to France. So those are games where they should be able to play well as developmental players. I think going forward, the more he's going to play, hopefully he can catch on like a D-League team and just keep developing his game. But until then, it's just it's another nice step to see, finally. And it's a great thing for like a CIS program, to be honest, to, to say, hey, look, you can become something playing here. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm not the biggest CIS fan, not because I hate Canadian collegiate sports. I dislike the way they fund them. I think it's a crock. You you expect to make these guys into players, but you don't want to fund them. How are you helping the kids if you don't want to help them? You know, get there with the resources necessary. Sports has evolved so much. You got to help these kids get there, and if that means investing in new technology or new things to help these universities keep up the part to help these athletes get to where they want to get to, what's the big deal? I'd take it a step further even and say that 
their coach is the only one that has had the audacity to even do that to a certain extent. Oh, Dave yeah. Smart. And, of course, let's not forget, Dave Smart is the, one of the assistant coaches on this team, and he's the one who's in charge of a lot of these defensive schemes. So the fact that Thomas Scrub doing as well as he has right now, especially being the bigger and more physical of the Scrub brothers from Carleton University, um, it it's, it's impressive to see him do what he did in this tournament. But it's also not entirely too surprising in the fact that he's got his coach of five years that's giving up the defensive system. Hell, you could even make the argument. I remember Leo Routens uh, uh, pointing this out during one of the broadcasts that really it's the Scrub Brothers at times that I'm sure we're kind of pointing some of these other guys in the direction of, okay, in smart system and defensive system, this is where you need to be and this is where you need to be. And this is coming from kids that are like, you know, 23 years old to guys that, you know, two, three years five to six years experience in the NBA and whatnot. So, I mean, it's just, but it is exciting to see. Yeah. And to encapsulate that, I mean, Dave Smart and Roy Rand are two guys that are really trying hard here to make the CIS yes. elevated and they're doing all they can. They've been doing a great job mm-hmm. and it shows with the way they've been able to do things on the international level of Canada basketball. And you got to tip your hat to them. They're two of the underrated and under heralded names in all of Canada basketball right now. And they deserve a lot more credit and respect than they get. Yeah, up to this point, I think it's just, for Canada basketball in general, I think we're just uh, at the precipice of where, like, it'll actually become a, it feels like Canada isn't really, like, a significant um, basketball team internationally, and I feel like we're just, like, just about to be uh, an impact team. We have a bunch of players that are on the up and up, like you guys mentioned, the Scrub Brothers, but then there's also, like, people that, there are also players that are always in the draft. Canada's consistently drafting, or Canada's having players being drafted more consistently in the NBA, and their players are getting better every year, so. Just have to wait until Tokyo, man. It makes me kind of sad to admit it, but I just gotta have to wait until Tokyo. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing either, though. It's something to look forward to. In the meantime, Nike Crown League's going on here in Toronto. Uh, we've all had a chance to go now. It's been a lot of fun to watch. What are your guys' thoughts on the venue as a whole? It's been getting a lot of attention on social media, Twitter, Instagram. Personally, I love it. I'm a huge fan of it. I, I do like Jarvis Collegiate and the intimate feel it has. I've been saying that since day one, but Kerr Hall's a lot nicer. I can't deny that for a second. It's it's really nice. What are your guys' thoughts on the venue? Okay, the, court, the court is like the most uh, prominent thing. I think everybody that has been to Crown League talks about the court. Like That's the first thing they talk about, how beautiful it looks. And... Um, you know, just all around, just the environment that is there is almost like a, it's almost like a family environment, but it's also like a, it's also like an environment where everybody's trying to be a showman, you know, trying to showcase their skills. So it's definitely like something that you would just have to be there to experience, to be honest. I think, um, in all honesty, just the accessibility to not just players, but even just the overall experience, like you said, like it, it just feels like a big family coming together and just watching a couple of really good basketball games with the top talent in the country that's available right now. And you can tell and you can see with the amount of talent that has shown up over the past two years. We're watching guys that have credible NBA experience showing up 
and balling and, and not just I mean James Johnson has been obviously the most consistent of all of them but we've seen guys Anthony Bennett we've seen Kelly Olenek we've seen Brady Heslip even though he's not an NBA guy but a guy who's really been in the in, in the forefront of Canadian basketball for a while he can light it up and that's it and not just coming up and showing up we're talking about coming up and I mean I'll, I'll never forget last year in Jarvis Collegiate we watched Kelly Olenek score the quietest 30 points I think I've ever seen in my life <laughs> that was almost all in the second half yeah he had four points in the first half, and then everything came in the second half. Mostly because guys were trying to dog him a bit and talk, and then, you know. And well, then Kelly just went, no. He's an NBA player. <laughs> yeah, and and, and honestly, I, I don't think I ever I spoke about this before uh, last year, last time we were talking about this and writing about it, but I remember showing up Jarvis Collegiate outside, and this big black Escalade showed up, parked right next to my car, um, and but obviously I was on the street and this car was in the in the fence, and I remember getting out and just seeing this car and all of a sudden out hops Kelly Olynyk, and Olynyk's there and he's it's just very unassuming because you don't know what to make of the Crown League at this point right because it's the first of its kind in Toronto and we don't know what's going on. So before that all we ever had was the VC charity games right. So I, I'm. We're, I'm walking in the same general direction as he's going to, and I just decide to say, okay, and just shout it out and go, hey, Kelly, you think you're going to play tonight? And he just looks at me, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, I don't know, man, we'll see. And then, of course, sure as, sure as anything, he about, what, 15 minutes later, he shows up, and even you and I, Chris, were sitting there going, nah, he's probably just here to check it out. And then, little do we know, there he is in a jersey, yep. warming up taking shots, and then right after that, James Johnson shows up and does the same thing. And I think at that moment, we all realized, I mean, how special this event could be. Because it was the first of its kind at the time, right? And now seeing it this year and just seeing the consistency of players that have came up, Bruno Caboclo last week, I wish I was there to see that voice. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of jealous of both of you, DeMar especially. <laughs> he was disappointed. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Dude, he's, yeah, he's okay. He's all right. Show some flashes here and there, but he's he kind of looks aloof. Um, I don't want to say careless, but he looks really nonchalant. You know, it is a summer league game, but for him, you can—I don't know. One of the first thing I said to Mar is that I—I I just feel like they're going to try and transition him into becoming a three and D player. A lot of jump shots, using that long wingspan, seldom post up. Like it's tough to judge in a summer league game again, but just the vibe I got from watching him play—he's just kind of, kind of there. Mm-hmm. Demar, your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I've never really been high on Bruno to begin with. It's because. Um, you're not alone. <laughs> you know, being three, two years away from being two years away, it just sounds like a like a business salesman trying to, trying to sell you on a <laughs> on an idea. You know, almost just like, yeah, just think about it in concept. Though this is a great idea in concept. You don't really need to. It won't. It's not happening right now. But imagine in four years from now, maybe that this thing could possibly exist. <laughs> I need you to put a hundred dollars down right now. What are so we, we betting? Help make, no, so we can help make this thing exist. You know what I mean, <laughs> the GoFund uh, Bruno's post game fund. <laughs> That's what it feels like with Bruno. It's like you know, four years away from being four, or two years away from being two years away. It's like I have to put all of this time and effort into the potential that only I can see. <laughs> maybe re- maybe reap the benefits from the player, and it just right now it doesn't seem like they're really reaping any sort of ben- benefits from him. I mean, like he's like like uh like Chris said, like it's just mostly jump shots. He's just using large wingspan for defense. Like I don't see any sort of like uh you know, he's 
what he looks like he should be is Giannis, uh, Giannis Atetokounmpo, but what he mm. looks like is is like Trevor Ariza. No, he's too skinny for that. <laughs> Even Trevor Ariza's better. Like I feel like if he turns into Trevor Ariza, I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> yeah, because so, at this uh, point, at this point, honestly, when it comes to just Kabaklo, because all the other moves Masai has made has been worked out fairly well, but when it comes to Kabaklo, he almost starts sounding like J.P. Ricciardi with Ricky Romero. And even Ricky Romero had an all-star appearance. Yeah, that's different. Ricky was really good, and he fell off a cliff mentally. We haven't seen Bruno get there, period, yet. So I guess the best part I can put in is that he's J.P. Ricciardi in the sense of when everyone was screaming Troy to Lewitsky, Ricciardi went, I know better. Oh, well, he took Ross Adams that draft. That's totally different. Yeah. I thought it was Romero. I guess I stand corrected. At this point with, like, Bruno, it's just, I just feel like uh, Masai doesn't want to admit a mistake. Yeah. He's good, and he's just, like... Keeps peddling him back and back and forth between nine oh five and the NBA is just Well he doesn't I don't know, necessarily man, I'm not, need to I'm not, I'm not I'm not buying it. I'm he's, not buying what he's selling. But he doesn't need to say it's a mistake yet. I mean he just keeps exercising those rookie options on his contract and it's like, hey, it's still a cheap investment. Yep. Plus he also yeah, just yeah. brought a team to the finals, the East Finals, so it's like I mean it's tough it's tough to argue against him in general. Yeah, but that was that could have been another player that actually be contributing to the team because he's been on the for team sure. for what, three, yeah. three no, years now? True. Three years, yeah. Fourth year next year. Oh, oh yeah. You know, Bradley Beal is doing stuff right now. Just saying. I'm not <laughs> saying we could I'm not saying we should have drafted Bradley Beal, but I'm just saying, like, you know, the amount of time that Bruno's been putting in, any other player by their third year... Would be better. Yes, would be better in contributing to their team. Mm-hmm. Any other players from Crown League that have stood out so far? Mick come. What's Mix? What's his last name? Mick? It's Mick Cabongo, man. We've gone over this. Burnt Orange Nation. Went to University of Texas. Homegrown kid from here. Come on, man. And he's about as gangsta as it comes. His brother's <laughs> playing here, too. He's great, dude. He reminds me of, like, Dennis Schroeder. Whenever he plays, like, a lot of, a lot of like, full-speed attacks to the rim, crashing into the seats, you know? Always falling. Always falling, but he's always going full tilt, which I like, even though it's Summer League. He has something. It looks like he has something to prove. Yeah, I think he just – I kind of feel for him in the sense where the violations at Texas really hurt him and his draft stock because prior to that season, he was considered a top five, top ten pick. Like, he was a lottery pick. Yep. And then he didn't play for three quarters of the season. He finally played a bit, and, you know, he had a good game against Kansas. And then uh, this feels like so long ago, and it actually was. But yeah, it's just, it, it never was able to pick up traction after that for him. He had a D-League tryout. He bounced around the D-League for a bit. Just – he couldn't catch on with the team and ended up in Europe, and now you see him here at Crown League trying to play back in Europe again. It's just, it's just kind of a story of he just can't catch on with the team. Yeah, unfortunate man because he looks like real, like he looks real good, mm-hmm. actually really good. And it's scary to think about a guy like Kabongo because I think this is also just a testament to, you know, scouts and what they're looking for in players. If a guy has like. You hate to say it, but a guy like Kabongo could never afford to have any kind of either behavioral issues or any troubles off the court because he's too small for that. No one is going to take a chance on a guy where the older he gets, the less explosive he's going to become. Even though, obviously, he's very still well, he's very explosive. explosive stuff. The point is is that a guy that's you know coming just coming into the league that doesn't have the same kind of history that Kabongo has, and they're two inches short, they're two inches taller, and they're twenty pounds heavier. I mean, it, it just makes a world of a difference. It's a guy Kabongo size can't afford to get into any kind of trouble whatsoever because scouts are just going to look at that and just go, well, he's still too small to just take a flyer on him. Well, even if you want to go on his size a little bit more here, he's probably, I'll be generous, 
175 tops, 180. Uh, I feel like yeah, that's I'd, a lot of weight that I'm I'm saying right there. Yeah. Now put that on on a nightly scale when you look at the NBA point guards right now. Exactly. The gauntlet of point guards he'd face. Let's say you go, you play the Heat, you play Dragic one night. The next night you play Oklahoma City, you get Russell Westbrook. The next night you play Phoenix, you get Eric Bledsoe. Or Brandon Knight, whoever. Just have fun. Fire hydrants. Have fun. Like these are these are dudes that yeah, but there are, are big there's dudes. Still the, there's still Jeff Teagues and Chris Pauls out there. Oh yeah. Well, yeah, Chris but, Paul's crafty veteran though. He's learned to do a lot of things and, with his body. And Chris Paul's no, so much heavier. He's a heavy dude, and he's built solid through and through. He's. I mean, he's yeah. he's just. He's the guy where it's like, yeah, he's only six feet tall with shoes on, but at the same time, that guy is just so strong going to the rim. Well, a guy like Jeff Teague, though, what he mentioned is, is a yeah. good analogy. Like Those guys have learned to play in the NBA. And they also stayed out of trouble, though, going into the league, somewhere that Kamango would be right now. And I, I don't want to sound like the ultimate pessimist, but at the same time, uh, this is a guy who was on his way to the league until this unfortunate situation derailed him. Well, teams tried, right? Teams tried to bring him on for tryouts and summer league and D-league. And they had nothing to lose by cutting him. Yeah. A couple exactly. bad weekends, that's all it takes. And we all know in sports, all it takes is a bad weekend and and when you're on the cusp like that, you can't afford a bad weekend. No. Because it's the difference between being a Mick Cabongo and a Brandon Jennings. Even though I know Jennings played in Europe and all that, but still, yeah. undersized guy, very speedy, did all the right things at the right time, even though he already got himself in a little bit of controversy by not going to college. It's, I don't know, it's it's all a sea of gray when it comes to being a cusp guy like Cabongo. I think one player that hasn't yeah. had a lot of talk at the Crown League is Dayon Kravik off One Love T.O. He played at Texas Tech. He's pretty smooth. He's been finishing with both hands, uh, double double both weeks now. He's, I think, he's somebody who has not been getting a lot of talk. I mean, very quietly, he's played well. Right. Yeah. I like, I like the team. You know, he looks pretty good out there. I like the, I like the fact that he can finish with both hands. That's one of my favorite things. Being ambidextrous with the ball is so important to uh, being a successful basketball player. It does a couple things to nitpick on with the Crown League. Just before we get to that, yeah. I actually want to bring up an interesting fact about the fact that you brought him up. Because I think this shows a true testament to how unknown he is. The only people that wanted to interview him in the media room when he walked in was Ryerson, was the Ryerson students. That was it. And I think that that's just a testament to how underrated he is. Even though I think we're all in agreement, he actually has been the most consistent and best player in this league so far this this uh, this year. Yeah, he's had two good weeks in a row. So and hopefully, actually, you're completely right. Like that's one of the biggest issues with any of the teams right now is there's nobody. <clears throat> there are very few players that are just like consistently being good. Like you'll see, like, a couple players like sprout up on in each day, but nobody's been you know back to back games like just awesome. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah, man. And Duncan has had the same thing his entire life. It's a model of consistency. It works. Obi Bryant somehow overshadows his career. I don't think I think history will uh, will prove Duncan the uh, the bigger man. Anybody who feels otherwise needs to just actually watch basketball. Yeah, I'm talking like you know the casual like people outside of of us. Oh, the we're casual the, 2K fan. We're, we're not the regular fan, you know. <laughs> we're people we're steeped in the knowledge and the analytics and the statistics of the game when, versus people who are just like, no, did you see that fadeaway three? <laughs> wow. Did you see that 60 points? He left. Yeah, exactly. I was like, yes, he is the ultimate, he is the Ty Cobb of basketball. <laughs> I mean, not Ty Cobb. <laughs> I mean, he didn't hate white people, but still. We, we talked about Ty Cobb. Yeah, he's far it. from Ty Cobb, but like, he's definitely, like, you know. Kobe's, uh, Kobe loved like his white women, somehow. so, you know. 
somehow is like his legacy overshadows Tim Duncan, even though Tim Duncan is probably. Yeah. I mean, Kobe is like the Michael Jackson to Tim Duncan's Prince. It's a good analogy, actually. I, I, you know what? Yeah, that's a good point. Because I mean, shoot, not to get too much on on the subject, but you want to talk about a guy who is a model of consistency, always eternal, always universally loved, and never got into too much trouble. Compared to a dude that was super mega talented with a whole shit ton of problems through that entire lifespan. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Anyway, back to Crown League. <laughs> what do you guys think about the crowd at Crown League? I know there's been a lot of people that have said different things. It's, it's kind of fun to walk around, just listen to the variety of conversations that are going on. I think that's been the fun thing as well. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things is like, where we're standing or where we're sitting in Crown League, there was like this contingency of uh, James Johnson's fans specifically. Where they were just like chirping the other team to oblivion, yelling at the other team. They were literally booing the other team when they were shooting free throws. Every time. Nobody else, yeah, which, <laughs> which no other team, which no other fan was doing. So I'm, just, I'm liking the passion I'm getting from some of the fans out there. Mm-hmm. I'll say this much. I um, I extremely appreciate those types of fans, but there aren't enough of them in this in this setting. Absolutely not. I think, unfortunately, that Toronto being the city that he, that it is, I love I love my city. I, I I do love it, but I also feel that Toronto still has it's gotten to a point, especially at this point, where the Crown League for everyone that was there, it was a place to be seen at, as opposed to actually enjoying the game of basketball. And I really got that vibe off of a lot of people that were around. I enjoyed the conversations that I think all of us were having, whether amongst ourselves or with other people that were into the game. There was a lot of people that were analyzing it. So I, And that's the thing. I'm, I'm torn about it because I, I, I feel like a lot of the people that were watching the game were watching it as analysts as opposed to fans until we started seeing certain special things. Like, for example, a James Johnson putback dunk. I mean, that was... That was something that had everybody going. Had everybody sit back and go, holy shit. Like, oh yeah, we forgot. This guy still is an NBA veteran that dunked on Dwight Drummond. Or, sorry, uh, Andre Drummond. <laughs> right? What a and, dunk that was. My goodness. And so, but I'm also kind of torn about it because, I mean, this is also the same crowd that basically dispersed by the third game, even though we still had some considerable talent on the floor playing each other. And, I, I mean, it. For a crowd to be that easily worn out so quickly, especially the fact that you have to register by Nike just to show up, I think that the way to get into the building isn't necessarily as uh, as convenient as it could be for the for the average basketball fan. I mean, there's a lot of basketball fans that have no idea this is still going on, and I think you know it, it's it's great that it's happening, but I think that if this was a little bit more open to the community, honestly, charge five dollars a ticket, check everybody at the door, send them on in. Reserve seats for for media and just just ball. I think that would be so much more effective, especially in their advertising way about it. Because right now it just seems like it's um, uh, you know how when the the Bills the the Buffalo Bills did their whole series in Toronto mm-hmm. and how they just kind of sold it to certain people and they just kind of it was almost like a test market, so to believe, sort mm-hmm. of so to speak. And I feel like that's what the Crown League is right now. It's a lot of people that are there and they're just kind of looking at it and they're just kind of see okay what are the reaction we're getting out of the city when the truth of the matter is is that we don't need we don't even need something that is that big we just need enough people that are we have a strong enough basketball community to host something like this nike brings all legitimacy to it 
and we want to say it's like the Drew League, but I also still feel at the end of the day that it's still lacking a bit of that real basketball Toronto community. And you know what? Even the people that are the regular fans that would prefer Kobe over Tim Duncan, those are some of the most entertaining fans that also make the wildest uh, atmospheres possible. Right? Those are the fans that really make it worth listening to. And as much as you don't want to you don't want to hear them all the time talk about basketball, you don't necessarily have to, but you will always appreciate the noise they make when they show up in the building. Yeah, the crowd is, you know, crowd is good when good basketball is happening. I think that's like the best the best way to describe the crowd at this point. Like if a lot of shots are being missed, this here, you know, you can hear a needle drop in the crowd, but you know, a lot of people are hitting like back-to-back threes, crossover moves, you know, bounce crazy bounce passes, and then that's when you're getting the cheers from the crowds. Mm-hmm. If you just, you know, if, if the basketball is good, that's what people are there for. It looks to me that's what it seems like. People it's are there for the basketball. So if the basketball is good, then we there's no problems at all with the crowd. I, I, I just I need, need I need my basketball players to come out and step up. So that's what that's what it sounds like to me. And you know what? And even to a testament, James Johnson came and stepped up when he needed to. But I'd even say, uh, Demar, like, what what were your thoughts on uh, the interview with the MC? Because you had a chance to sit down and talk to him for a little bit. What were his thoughts on even the atmosphere? He loves the atmosphere, man. The way the crowd reacts, and even his uh, his jokes and catchphrases are like part of the reason why the, the crowd gets riled up. So whenever he's like uh, shouting out one of his favorite lines, like uh, he's got more buckets than a KFC on a Tuesday. You know, that gets, like, the crowd to laugh. Mm-hmm. You know, just just so, like, you know, it helps jeer the crowd, keep them engaged you know, with the play, so that nobody's, like, getting bored or anything like that. And, you know, if the, if somebody is getting more buckets than the KFC on a Tuesday, the crowd is definitely going to be involved. So pitch me why we should come to Crown League. If I'm somebody on the streets, the people you guys are talking about that aren't showing up, pitch me why I should show up. It's a gorgeous court that has been laid out at Ryerson University. Also, it has a bit of like an exclusivity type of gravitas going on. You know, not everybody knows about this event. It's almost like, I wrote about it earlier, where it's like kind of like a secret nightclub kind of feel. You know, you have to know somebody to know somebody, even know about the event. Like you that. know, it could, be, it could be a detriment or it could be a positive because the event doesn't get that much publication, but people that know about it, you know, it's almost like a secret club to know about it. So if you want to be part of a secret club and see some dope NBA players, because NBA players do show up to this event, and if you want to see some NBA players and some up-and-comers throughout the throughout Canada in general, or even in some leagues around Europe, come to Crown League, you get to see it, you get to cheer on some people, free food, and you get in. So I don't, I don't see the problem. <laughs> I've already had to uh, sell this to a few people that are basketball fans that have never heard of it. And uh, the thing I always tell them is say, if you want to watch NBA players going back to their roots, then this is the place to be. And if you want to watch up-and-comers try and take their shot at the title, this is the place to be. And above all else, if you want to be close enough that you can actually reach out and touch these players in a way that you never would be able to do in the ACC or the Palace at Auburn Hills or any other place where there would be basketball within, you know, a a 500-mile radius right now, this is the place to be to come and watch it because you're never going to get this kind of intimacy with this level of players anywhere in Canada at all. And even in a lot of parts of the Midwest and, and, and the Northeastern United States outside of New York City. This, this is it. 
Like, and the fact that Toronto has it, the fact that it's already right there in your backyard and it's free, it's free to get into, you can literally walk in there and the only thing that you're going to be paying for is your bus ticket to get there. If you're a hardcore hoops fan living out in Cambridge or Kitchener or a hoops fan living out somewhere out in the boonies and you wanted to come and check this out, the only thing you're paying for is a bus ticket and a little bit of time by registering on Nike. I mean, I think what else could, what else can you, what else can you say other than that? Because every week someone's going to show up and prove. And I think that's just one of the most impressive things about all of it. And that's one of the best things is like people are always there to like show off. Like somebody wants to be recognized as the best. You know, that's how you know somebody's name. Like who is that guy that just like sank three threes in a row or threw that in that crazy, that crazy reverse jam. That's how you get known. Yeah. That's what people here want. And, And tomorrow I'll do you one better. Talking about somebody that wants to let himself be known is a, a player who actually just finished his rookie season in the NBL. And we're talking about domestic leagues and what they need to become eventually uh, earlier in this podcast. And uh, the, the name of that player is uh, Shaquille Keith. And he's known throughout either the league and known throughout you know the NBL and also the crown league. Everything is just simply a Shaq Keith. And you know this is a guy who, especially in the second half, he was part of uh, Team Ace. Uh, also is a team I like to dub uh, Team NBL <laughs> because literally they had about six guys on their roster that are from the NBL, from Canada's Domestic Professional League to this point, and even recognized by FIBA at this point. And um, I think uh, watching him go one-on-one with Junior Cadogan for a couple of those uh, sets was a lot of fun to watch. And just watching a guy of his size, you know, he's 6'5". They say he's 190. I don't believe that for a second. The kid's easily sitting at 200 or more. But just having... The size that he had, he was the only guy on the floor that was able to match Junior Cadogan's width, I guess you could say, because neither one of these guys were over the top quick. It was all about strength to the basket, and um, just uh, even when the opportunity that we had to, uh, that I had to speak with him uh, after the game, you know, he was talking about how Junior Cadogan is like his big brother. So just to watch and and just to understand those kind of relationships, because a lot of the players that we we've we've spoken to in this league is as talented as everyone is, as spread out as everybody is internationally, a lot of these guys grew up playing together. And I think that's the most interesting storyline in all of it that nobody ever talks about. Yeah, everybody's there to prove themselves. So to kind of build on the whole allure of people, you don't know who's coming each week. Um, having spoken to somebody who's helping organize the event, they told us that there will be surprises this Crown League. And if I'm going to put my money down here, now that the FIBA qualifiers to go to the Olympics are done for Team Canada, I think you can expect to see some of those guys off that roster start showing up. I know Brady Haslip is one guy who's been very vocal about trying to get players to play in this. I'd imagine now that this is done, you may see guys like Melvin Edgem come home to visit in the Crown League. Guys like Corey Joseph, you know, back home, he's a Pickering kid in the Crown League. I think you're going to start seeing some of these guys at the Canadian roster trickle into this Crown League event. And if you're a fan of Canada basketball, grassroots basketball, just anything basketball here in this country, that's all you need to know. Those guys are definitely going to be there. I, you know what? I shouldn't say definitely, but I'd put a large amount of money that you're going to at least see some names that you wouldn't expect coming up that are Canadian. So that's more the reason to show up, in my opinion. Also, Andrew Wiggins, if you're listening to this, <laughs> make it up to the fans, bro. Yeah. yeah. League, man. So what will be the question then? All right, DeMar. Who who would um, I mean I, I guess you kind of already leaked it who you would who you would uh, bet on seeing there 
Wait, but give me all right. Give me give me your wildest your wildest dream of showing up. Any player, any player, and wildest your realistic dream. expectation of who would show up. Wildest dream of somebody showing up would be like Tim Duncan decides that I need to represent Toronto Canada Sports. Decides to play for like one day for whatever reason. Obviously, that would never happen. But realistically, uh, realistically, maybe we'd see a little bit of a little bit of Norman Powell. I don't know if he yes he could come back awesome. for after Las Vegas uh, summer league. But that'd be you know that'd be awesome. That'd be annihilation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Toronto Toronto definitely loves Norman Powell. So if he recognizes that, there's a huge opportunity to grow his his own personal fan base by just showing up there. It'd be a folklore. It'd be a legend even more. Yeah. Chris? Okay. If I had to throw out like a, a far-fetched name, and I feel like it, it still could possibly happen to everything and all the stars align, Kevin Durant. He comes here every year for Carabana. He's been present at both of the past two OVO Bounce basketball tournaments. He's there hanging out with OVO guys. Him and Drake are, you know, they're, they're buddy-buddy. The tournament runs until that time. I know it's playoffs, but this is Kevin Durant. I mean, if he just randomly showed up because he's here for Carabana, that would be a dream. He's also part of Nike. Yeah, that mm. would that would be a dream, Kevin Durant. Realistically, though, I'm thinking like probably a guy like Corey Joseph is realistic. But if there's one guy that I think is outside the box thinking and he loves Toronto, he still has a house or a condo down the Queen's Key apparently. Amir Johnson, fan favorite with the Raptors. He loves Toronto. Offseason's done. He has no contract issues. He's with Boston next year. He's somebody I think that loves the city so much, might hear about this and go, yeah, I'll be there. That's my kind of, if I had to kind of give like a wild card, it'd be Amir Johnson. Mm-hmm. All right, what about you, Ryan? My jaw dropper? Yeah. My jaw dropper. Fear the beard. But not the beard most people are thinking about. Mr. Vince Sanity himself. The jaw dropper to just see Vince Carter just show up at this all these years later. I Everyone knows I'm a big VC fanboy at this point. <laughs> but just to see Vince Carter come back and see what, what, what he inspired in this city. Make no bones about it. He inspired in this city. To see him come back and help. Maybe even banging on somebody if they were dumb enough to come at him in the paint because the boy can still get up there, especially on open runs. Um, uh, real, more realistically, though, I would, right now, I mean, more realistically, I think I would have to say that uh, I'll, I'll even I'll even throw that one for a spin. I'll, I'd put up either uh, DeMar DeRozan or Kyle Lowry, especially DeMar now that he signed the max deal. Well, DeMar plays in the Drew League. That's the only thing. Well, I'd love to see that, though. I, I put up, I, no, I'd, I'd put up DeMar DeRozan. I think he'd have the time. I think he'd have the time to show up and show some love. I mean, he just signed the max deal for this city. He's going to be the face of the city for the next five years at yeah, least. Yeah, no, that'd be sweet. And just to see him show up. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, he showed up at Raptors 905 games. I mean, how many faces of the franchise show up for the D-League team's games? Also show up to the Steel game. There you go. There's another one, right? Like, he's, he's in and around this city more than people like to think. Uh, he's he's just as much he he grew up just as much in Toronto as he as he did in Compton as he did in Los Angeles and um, I think uh, despite what certain fucking people would say in the media in the states even going on and on and on and on and on about how 
DeRozan was going to be a Laker, and then as soon as he signs with the Raptors, retract all those statements and start talking about how he can't shoot threes, I think is, um, you know, fuck those guys. But still, at the end of the day, DeMar DeRozan was never going to leave to begin with. Why would he leave to go to a shit team? And we'll just leave it at that. He had a better chance going to the Clippers. I'll just leave it at that. But yes, DeMar DeRozan is my realistic expectation. Vince Carter is my fantasy. Done. <laughs> you feel better? I feel much better now. <laughs> Wrap us up. All right, like Chris, take us out. Somebody take us out. <laughs> All right. And with that being said, I would like to, of course, thank everybody for joining us on this episode of the TOT Cast. If you want to reach uh, DeMar on Twitter, you can reach him at Damar J. Grant. If you want to reach Chris O'Kranitz, you can always reach him at Chris O'Kranitz on Twitter. Reach myself at Ryan Greco 416 And of course, be sure to like the Facebook page. Uh, be sure to give us uh, ratings on iTunes. We, of course, are on iTunes. The ratings always help. Thank you so much for that. And, uh, of course, uh, be able to uh, visit us on tipofthetower.com. And, uh, of course, thank you so much for joining this episode. And uh, we will see you guys next time.